If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is podcast time. We are having a moment. I think it's a lockdown moment. John, the Soon lock- to be finished. It's over. It's over, yeah. And won't come back. Yeah. Ooh. I think that's it. Well, I hope it won't come back. I think no, but I think even if your man, the COVID, with the definite article, yeah. the COVID, comes back, I don't think we're going to lockdown again. No. No, this, you won't get people into lockdown again. Well, I was actually talking to Neil Bowman. Or, or, oh, and you're, I thought you are looking particularly svelte. I'm put on, so I'm huge fat. But I was saying to him, listen, I'm really looking forward to get back into the gym, which is next. I never thought I'd hear I, myself say that. Not did I. By the way, this is the least likely gym bunny I've <laughs> ever met in my entire life. But you like the boxing. Oh, yeah, it's terrific stuff. So if you're into the boxing, or just training in, any, in yeah. general... Have a look at neilbowmantraining.ie. He's got a special offer for May. The but, last month of the so lockdown. So John is going to be working on his summer pecs and his abs and <laughs> his lats and his beach body. And he's going to go out and terrify the natives. Did I ever tell you the funniest thing I ever saw about beach bodies and non-beach bodies? <laughs> Ireland against Israel soccer match, 2002. Uh, uh, right. right. In Tel Aviv. Of course, I go... With our mate Gary Coyle, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it was the biggest non-Jewish tourist event ever in Israeli history. Oh, really? 6,000 paddies arrived. Right. And we arrive in Tel Aviv, and I've been there loads of times, so I knew the, the place, right? We end up in an Irish bar. Yeah. Like, literally hundreds of paddies, right? In terrible state. <laughs> and Tel Aviv has got this massive beach, and the Israelis are really buff, and it's got full, all these workout yeah, things. They're all ex-army they guys. They're all ex-armies, and everyone looks amazing. So there's a whole load of Irish lads drinking, right? In the sun. It's never a good look. It's never a good look, right? In their full opal. It's all yeah, yeah. the opal jersey time, right? <laughs> Nobody realised we were going to see. And so we go for a swim, <laughs> and about 40 blubbery Irish lads walked on this amazing beach and it was like Moses and the Red Sea parting, right? <laughs> the Israelis looked at us as if, are they humans? Are they the same species? It was like- Glowing Mar- red. It was like Martians and Venetians and people from Venus and people from Mars. And, all and I remember the, particularly the Israeli girls 
the way they looked at us was like, what is that? As we blubbered into the Mediterranean. And it was, it was really like the, the Red Sea parting. It was extraordinary. So that'll be us after all your training. But anyway, neilbowmantraining.ie. Now, apart from the Ned, John, what else has been rocking your world? Remember we were talking about David Bowie last week? Bowie, yeah. Bowie, Bowie. And we were talking about it in the Ask Mac, which is on Patreon, by the way. Yes, we are. We were. Uh, and we were talking about the moment that it changed when he was in Berlin with Eno and Visconti. Yes. And he heard Donna Summer. So I started talking to Emma about this, my 17-year-old. And she said, do you know that Bowie was a huge fan of Elvis? He actually wrote him a song, but Elvis didn't record it for various reasons. Well, one of them was Colonel Tom Parker always took 50% of the publishing. And Elvis know, didn't want to do that it's to so Bowie. so mad, isn't it? 50%. Remember, because we were, we were, we were talking about Spotify and everything. Yeah, but. yeah, exactly. But the song was Golden Years. Was written Great for, song. Yeah, it was written initially for Elvis. Going to do the chorus. Golden Years. What she also told me, which I thought was fascinating, is Elvis died in 77. And this is also the year that Bowie discovered Giorgio Morodo and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But... Apparently, Bowie was going to produce Elvis's next album. Bowie was about to produce Elvis. I think that would have been amazing. You know what the album would have been? Ashes to Ashes. Imagine Elvis singing Ashes to Ashes in that Bowie clown costume. Yeah. Mind blown. Anyway, there you go. Sorry, John, I've just gone off a riff. Now, today, John, what are we talking about? Podcast is going to be on the antisocial behaviour that is opposing development, right? Ireland has now become, but the whole world, mm. Ireland particularly, has become obsessed with opposing development. So every single time somebody's trying to build houses or build apartments or whatever, there are these serial objectors. So it's going to be the objector as anti-social citizen. Because right. it's anti and the reason it's anti-social is that when you object to something, when you hold up building, for no matter what reason, mm. and there are legitimate reasons sometimes, but you send house prices yet higher, building costs yet higher. Yeah. And what you do is you inflict upon somebody else the penalty for your entitlement. Yeah. And that's what we're yeah. going to talk about. And I'm going to contrast it with the extraordinary dynamism of the tech industry. The tech giants reported mad profits this last couple of days, right? Right. We're going to contrast that unbelievable dynamism in, in tech, and which is exactly where you want to work, particularly if you're younger. Yeah. And this heavy interventionist, static approach to building houses. And of course, if we don't build houses because people are obsessed with objecting, we're never going to fix the housing crisis. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mark, give us the context in all of this and, and where you mentioned the tech industry. Yeah. What's happening well, there? John, what we're seeing is the fusion of work and play. This is the key thing, right? So what mm. the pandemic has done is has changed what is acceptable in terms of what you're watching on your screen and what is not. Yeah. How much of your daily life is now online. Yeah. So we've always said that we believe that the pandemic will have lasting impact on people's lifestyles. For sure, yeah. Right? Particularly the way we work. And of course, the main beneficiaries of that have been tech companies because the tech companies have the platforms, mm. right? And what you're seeing now is this profound global lifestyle change being reflected in extraordinary profits from the tech companies well, in, course, the last, you know, in the last couple of, couple of months. The likes of Amazon, who have made ridiculous amounts of money, most of which is government money. It's the PUP payments going straight, straight into it. No, absolutely. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You're the absolutely people are right. sitting at home and yeah. they're just buying stuff. They're buying buy? Amazon. Well, I'll give you right. So the combined revenue of Alphabet. Yeah. Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft rose 41% in the last three months. 41% to $322 billion. Wow. Think about that, right? And not only that, their profitability has been spectacular. Their profits have gone up 100% to $75 billion. So what you're seeing is these companies are not only growing their revenue, but their profits as well because their cost base they're keeping quite low. So what you're seeing is this lifestyle shift that all of us are involved in now begin to translate profoundly into the share prices and the profitability of these tech companies. All of them, all of them have seen revenue and profit grow up 30, 40% mm. in the last year. Now, this has profound implications for the world, right? Yeah. First of all, as I'd always say to, you know, if you're going to be involved in a sector and you're kind of ambivalent of where you're going to work, if you're a young person, mm just go into this tech sector because it's booming. And of course, we have a little bit of this action in Ireland. Not a lot, but a little bit. Mm. And it's a bit that we need to keep, you know, because the way economies work is always that, you know, Jane Jacobs, remember I've mentioned her before. Yeah. So Jane Jacobs, we're going to mention her a bit as well about in developing, in in, in development and housing and everything, right? Because she's the kind of, the guru of, of certain, but her idea was a fantastically simple idea, which is that cities create all economic growth in economies, right? The countryside never does. So what happens, the city... About the farming sector. Well, she's talking in general, the farming sector is a low productivity sector, right? Yeah. She was saying that what happens is that cities create industries that are really, really highly productive and they tend to be exporting. And those cities then attract in a huge proportion of the income of a country. And then that income is spent in less productive sectors like bars and restaurants and all that sort of, you know, schooling, all those sort of other things. But that it's the city that actually generates the income. Mm. And I think she's absolutely right in most cases, right? Farming, on the other hand, generates income, but it tends to be low productivity. It's growing in productivity now, 
Mm. And in fact, one of the big problems from the environmental movement is how are they going to actually try and deal with high productivity farming, right? Because a lot of environmentalists well, say that absolutely. we should go back, right? I mean, that, that's going to be an area of massive change over massive the change. next few but years. Ag tech, right? You've heard all mm. about fintech, right? Mm. Ag tech is going to be enormous in the next yeah. 10 years. I mean, the biggest challenge in the world, I mean, we've said it before, is that in 80 years' time, four people out of 10 in the world are going to be African. Who's going to feed them? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because ag- yeah. African agriculture is really quite rudimentary at the moment. So that's a, actually, there's another podcast. Let's do a podcast on, on yeah, developments absolutely. in agriculture and particularly this ag tech idea. You know, you look at a country like Ireland, we're blessed with two things. The Gulf Stream, so it's warmer here yeah. than it should be, and grass, and of course, infinite renewable energy in wind and wave. Yeah. Right? So if you're thinking about Ireland in the future, Ireland should be an ag tech environmentally Absolutely should, yeah. society. We yeah. really, really should. You know, if you think that there's, in terms of renewable energy, there's geothermal we don't have. Sun, we have... Well, we do, actually. Yeah, but we don't have it like Icelandic yeah, levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we are... Well, everyone does. I mean, at mm. some stage, if you drop the thing deep enough into yeah, the ground. Yeah. Sun, we have very little of. But wind and wave, we've Bucket enormous, load. right? Yeah. So, I mean, again, we should be thinking of this. But but that's also part of the nimbyism, which we'll get to in a little bit. The Yes, we won't even call them nimbyists. We call them bad citizens. Right, okay. Right? But we'll Anti-social get to that. citizens. But anyway, to come back to the tech, right? Yeah. So tech is booming now. All tech shares are booming. All tech profits are booming. And what it shows you is, as people predicted, but it's now happening, is that the gains from the pandemic are going to a smaller and smaller coterie of companies. Yeah. And that's what's happening. And these companies are becoming mega. The only danger for them is at what stage do they become too big? Well, th- this was the next thing I was going to say is that the big worry about that, not just their size now, but is their impact on democracy. Yep. You know, at some stage, like Biden spoke about breaking up some of the tech companies. I'm not sure how that's going to pan out, but we have got to that state with the the Bezos and the Musks and all these guys are so mega powerful, not just wealthy, but powerful now. Yeah. And I find that worrying. Well, there's a great book called Surveillance Capitalism. Mm-hmm. Surveillance Capitalism is the phase we're moving into where in actual fact it's our data is, yeah, the, yeah. Essential, yeah. is the essential wealth, right? And surveillance capitalists, when you are being surveyed, when you're being watched all the time, and we are being watched all the time, mm. and of course the gains are going to a tiny, tiny, tiny 1%. Now, the historical record is you've got to go back to Roosevelt, but yeah. not, not FDR. FDR's uncle, Teddy Roosevelt, who was the American president in the turn of the, turn of the century, yeah. who broke up the big oil companies and the big railroads. He said, you're too big. We're going to break you all up. And, and how did that go down at the time? Well, of course, in America, he was described as a communist. Well, FDR was described as a communist anyway. Yeah. And Teddy was described as, you they know. just call anybody a communist. Yeah, a left-leaning <laughs> communist. But it was a very good thing to do. You had to break the power of Rockefeller. You had to break the power of the Carnegies. You had to break the power because they were exact to your point. Yeah. They were all beginning the process of undermine democracy by buying democracy. You know, there's a great expression in, in America which is the Republicans are always for sale, the Democrats are only for rent. 
but it's like a virus. You know the way the virus goes in three or four stages? So you get the initial outbreak. Yeah. And then you get the, the spike and then you get the peak and then it collapses, right? Yeah. So imagine that in your head, right? The, right. The, 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 so the first thing, it's, it, and, and of course the poor old state doesn't really know how much underlying virus there is in the system until it emerges. Yeah. So it's the same as these people, right? The right. The, the serial objectors. So instead of the R number, we're looking at the O number. Yes. The objector exactly. number. Exactly. And then, and, but you're very right. So what happens is I always believe there's, always, there's usually a super spreader within the tribe, right? <laughs> right. And he or she is the one that galvanizes the residence committee and says, oh my God, if that's built down the road, you know, there's 20 apartments yeah. down there. Your apartments, your your price of your house is going to collapse. So the super spreader takes exactly like the way, you know, like COVID jumps from the sick to the susceptible. Mm. And then at a certain phase, there are no not enough susceptible people and the disease falls away. Yeah. That's what we herd immunity or inoculation, yeah. right? Yeah. This is exactly the same. So the super spreader, the super spreader event will be a WhatsApp group. Okay, that's the event. And they're all terrifying each other. And of course, normal people who are susceptible but don't really care, they're eventually dragged in because the super spreader says, well, you know what happened to you? You just paid for it. Well, it's the fear. It's spreading the fear, isn't it? Exactly. So then those guys who are coming in, they're the people who are sticking the masks on. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then, of course, the fear spreads amongst the community in the WhatsApp group of the residence group, goes through the roof, peaks. Then they (laughs) successfully block whatever development it is. And then amazingly, that group of coherent neighbours atomizes completely because the threat to their self-interest has disappeared. And then they go about their business and hardly say hello to each other. Right? Right. That's right. it. Okay, right? yeah, yeah. So it's exactly yeah. the same spike as, as COVID, right? It looks, it feels the same. But what happens is the development isn't developed. Yeah. So less houses are built, supply contracts, and first-time buyers end up paying the bill. And that's what really angers me. Because, yeah, yeah. And it was funny. I was doing a podcast. There's, there's two guys from the BRAC, mm. called Danny and another guy called Mero, right? And they do a great podcast called What's the Story? Yeah. And we went deep borough the other day. Right. Okay. Proper deep borough, okay? <laughs> and we were, we were naming football teams from around the borough. It's like when we decided we were going to go to a pub crawl around oh, yeah, Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> we are naming, you know, I've seen the Lincolns in and I'll see you. I'll see you in Mulligans and I'll see you in the Long Hall. We were like Farm United, TK, yeah. Workman's Club, all these old football teams. But what was interesting is one of the guys, one of them still is in the BRAC, the other guy, Danny, lives in Leash. Right. Leash. Yeah. So what has happened because of a lack of housing in Dublin? In the past, we used to always say, and you like Flann O'Brien, and Flann yeah. O'Brien used to always talk about the culture's coming up to Dublin. Yeah. That was his big, the brother. Yeah. And that was a Living thing. Living in the digs. Living in the digs. That was a thing in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, right? It was a mass migration of culture's to Dublin. So if you're not Irish, it's the same thing as rural to cities, right? And you yeah. see this all over the world. But what we see now is the reverse of that. So in Dublin... Dubs are living around Mead, Wicklow, or as I call them, the Wexicans down in Wexford. Yeah. All those people, right? Internationally, you've got exactly the same trends. I'll give you a good example. Cupertino, suburb San Francisco, added 12,000 jobs with the opening of Apple Park. Remember that big, the big Apple Park? Yeah, game? yeah. Meanwhile, the Cupertino Council only permitted 27 new homes. So it's the same process as what's happening. You're creating yeah. jobs with no homes. So, of course, what happens is house prices go through the roof. Our people have to commute enormous distance. Yeah. Now, what makes me a little bit cross is the fact that if you believe that home ownership is a good idea, 
And if you believe having a stake in society is a mm. good idea, and if you believe that first-time buyers should catch a break, opposing development is profoundly antisocial behavior. Some yeah. of the people in the contented class are the very people who'd never regard themselves as antisocial. They'd always regard kids drinking on the side of the street. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. this is the equivalent of littering because what you're saying is, I'm all right, Jack. I'm going to oppose the development and you guys are going to pay. Yeah. And I'm going to not only oppose it, but I'm going to enrich myself. And again, what you find is Irish politicians always side with the objectors because the people who would benefit from the new development don't vote yet because they don't live there. Yeah. So there's yeah. an asymmetry. So let me ask you the question then, why has there been such a jump in objections? This is what I'm trying to get to the bottom of, right? Right. I think it is because residence committees have become much, much stronger. I think it's because the contented class has become much more aggressive at defending its interests. I think it's also because the political class is caught, and it's the following thing in Ireland and all over the world, but particularly here, right, is that Irish politics is on a PR basis, right? Yeah. Elections, which means that even the big beasts of our electoral system only get elected by a few thousand votes maximum. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Even the really big players, right? So you see like someone like Varadkar got in the seventh count, you know, Pascal Dunne the seventh count. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's tight. Yeah. So it means that every single vote counts. In that situation, a 200-strong block vote from a residence committee of older people who all go out and vote is unbelievable material to your political right. career. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, the very few can block the interests of the many. That's the key. And this is what we call in economics the paradox of aggregation. I've talked about it before, but mm. it's well worth visualizing how it works, which is that what is good for you is not always good for everybody else. Yeah. And the best way to look at it is, you imagine you're at a football match and the person in front of you stands up. Now, he or she, by standing up, has no real sense of what they're doing in terms of how it impacts on the rest. But suddenly your view is blocked, then you stand up. Then the person behind you's view yeah. is blocked, they stand up, they stand up. And suddenly the entire stadium is standing when we paid to sit. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So everyone loses out. Yeah. Okay? It's exactly the same. So if you decide, John Davis, I'm going to say, we're not going to have this development down the road. It's good for you if it doesn't go ahead. Yeah. You achieve your aims, which is your house price goes up even further. And the calamity, which is the housing market crisis gets worse. You achieve your aims, but you don't realize that by you achieving your aims, everybody else loses out. Yeah. And this was the kind of um, uh, the philosophy of Thatcher, actually, wasn't it? When she said, there's no such thing as society. It's all about the individual. Yes. And she was working off the back of a fellow called Keith Joseph was her intellectual guru. And was he an economist? He was, he was, a, he, was a, he was what they call the thinker. Right. right. Okay. Uh, he was probably... He like was, a Dominic Cummins. He was the Dominic of. Cummins of Thatcher. Yeah. Right. Okay, Except he gotcha. was a lot cleverer than Dominic Cummins. Yeah. But you're right. It, it's, it is a Thatcher idea yeah. that, that the individual, that there is no collective. And of course, what it leads to is the politics of the very small amount of people absorbing all the goodies of society, mm. inequality, etc. And if you look in the housing market here, what is lamentable is the fact that we don't have 
an inoculation, that we don't shame these people. I think it's shameful behavior. I mean, there is a place for reasonable public debate about heights and scales and density, mm. right? But when it's so clearly in the self-interest of the objectors, I think they should be outed. I think they should be shamed and say, look, this is not cool communal behavior. This is antisocial behavior. Do you remember we were, a few weeks ago, we spoke to Richard Florida. I do. And he was talking about the 2030 vision yeah. of where we're headed on all the rest. And he had these great ideas and he was talking about how it's all going to be mixed use and the 15-minute city and all that kind all of All that stuff. jazz, yeah. Yeah, which is all... Yeah, and you were a Guinness. Well, it wasn't a Guinness. I, it all sounds fantastically utopian, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's very practical, but... I was thinking about that more and more. And, and what strikes me is that there's no, when you talk about the collective, there's no collective planning. Do you know what I mean? Where there would be like the county councils and the local communities and the architects actually come up with the 2030 plan. With the plan. plan. Yeah. Yeah. And so you go to the NIMBYs and say, so what's acceptable and what's not acceptable? Do you know what I mean? So you kind of get people, on, yeah, no, you bring yeah. people I, with you. I understand you. Bringing people with you is, is it's kind of very Biden-esque, John. Very Biden-esque. Oh, well, there you go. But you know what? It always struck me in, in London. We lived in southwest London, in Putney. Yeah. Putney's a lovely area, down by the river and all the rest. But it's an amazing kind of town, for want of a better word. Because on one street, you'd have the big, massive million, two million pound houses. And then the next street, you'd have social housing. Apartments. Big, and big council blocks. So, big council blocks. Yeah. yeah, and it was, and it worked. That's the thing. It worked. That's. I mean, I used to live beside. You know the Trellick Tower. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. all those extraordinary sort of buildings in London, and it was, London's a very, brilliantly socially mixed city. Yeah. From my memory of it, I haven't, I haven't lived there for a yeah, long no, time. Yeah, it, no, it was, and it was, it was very village orientated as well. Yeah, yeah because in the fifties, sixties, and seventies, and even into the eighties, mm. they built a huge amount of social housing. Yeah. In London, huge, huge amount. And I mean, again, it's that idea that you're right to point it out, right? At the heart of NIMBYism is class anxiety. Yeah. It's like the wrong type will move in. The yeah. wrong, as, as they say, a different element will move <laughs> in, right? Okay. But that's it. And that element will drag down the swankiness of our yeah. neck of the woods. So it means that all the best amenities, yeah. all the best infrastructure, all the best access to infrastructure becomes tighter and tighter in the hands of the few. I also tend to be older, so they vote. Mm. So they already have the wealth. But if you have the contented class running society and intervening in society at these critical levels, what happens is you get class division anyway. And the class division comes from access to the housing market. And what they're saying is, we don't really mind if you pay because you know what? We're looked after. I'm all right, Jack. Yeah. And what is important to try and explain to them is every time they galvanize their WhatsApp group, bing, 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 mm. <laughs> outrage, outrage. What they're doing is they're creating more and more social division in the society between the haves, the have-nots, between the young and the old and between the rich and the poor. Yeah. And we need to inoculate ourselves against this because at the moment, it seems that the system has no way to actually circumvent the serial objector. Yeah. And again, I come back to it, you know, 
I have no problem with people saying, look, I really believe that this is going to impact dramatically on my day-to-day life. Mm. Entirely right that they should be heard. But it's more than that now. It's actually becoming viral. And the problem is that like any virus, the virus, every time it attacks the system, it undermines the system in a little way. And unlike our own system, our immune system, which is an adaptive complex system that adapts really brilliantly to the invader. I mean, I'm amazed by the immune system. Think about COVID. Everyone talks about COVID. Well, everyone's learned so much about it in the last year. But it's just mad. Like, think of COVID came out of nowhere. The immune system never saw it before. It's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And yet 99.6% of people survive. So the immune system works. It like yeah. it figures the whole thing out and it attacks it. You know, I, I'm amazed. But, but this, the planning system is the opposite of the immune system. It becomes gummed up. It doesn't attack back yeah. this virus. Why? Because the political class don't want to attack back because they're always looking at four years down the road, how do I get 500 extra votes? So it means that the housing crisis here is being imperiled from the inside out. Mm. And of course, what you get is people say, oh yeah, well, they're just building apartments for rent, which is a legitimate. Mm. But equally, are they just building apartments for rich people? You hear that a lot, right? Yeah. Well, as long as it's legitimate, as long as the blocks of apartments aren't being bought by a vulture fund to rent out and exploit the shite out of everybody. Yeah, but I mean, that again is about, that's about the appropriate owner, right? But equally, even if they are for rich people, right? That means that those rich people come out of the system. So they're not putting upward pressure on people poorer than, than yeah. them. See, what happens, it's like it's like the market for secondhand cars in Cuba. Did I ever tell you about that? <laughs> no, but you are now. Go okay. on. <laughs> we will end here. The market for secondhand cars in Cuba and the Dublin property market. You've been to Cuba. I have. Right. So in Cuba, they stopped cars in the 1950s. Fidel stopped yes. importing American cars. So from the 1950s through to the 1980s, all you had was Russian Ladas. So you've got these old cab Chevrolets and these ladders side yeah. by side. Because you know, Cal did his transition year in yeah, Cuba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a cool thing to that do. It was very cool. Yeah, yeah. It was very, that was very liberal parents. <laughs> That's when the communes started going out of control. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. 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 It's gone. It's gone by then. Yeah, the stuff you learn in Cuba, you bring it back to Ireland. There's <laughs> no going back. Anyway, so what has happened in Cuba is that in the last 10 or 15 years, they have decided to allow in imports of very, very third-rate third or fourth hand Japanese or mm. European cars. The average cost of these is about $60,000. They would cost about 600 quid here. So what's happening? What's happening is that once, once you block up a system, once you block the churn, right? Yeah. Okay, the supply, really, really third rate cars become really expensive because you've blocked up the supply. It's exactly the same with houses, right? At the moment in Ireland, people, rich people, are living in houses that they'd never, living in homes that they'd never live in anywhere else. Yeah. So what happens is the rich people are actually moving down into the homes that used to be lived in by poorer people. Yeah. And the poorer people have been squeezed out. So it's exactly the same as the right. Cuban car market, right? Yeah, yeah. So really terrible third-hand Fiat Ritmos are selling for 50 grand in Cuba and they've been put into scrap in Italy. Why? Wow. Because the Cubans have actually cemented their supply and said, we don't have any. Yeah. Exactly the same thing's happening here. The homes 
that should be for rich people don't exist. So the rich people are then living in homes that poorer people used to live in, and the poorer people are left without homes at all. Yeah. And that's what's happening. And that is the long-term consequences of these planning objections. And I, and I think we've got to figure this out. We've got to figure out a way of stopping this nimbyism because it's a, it's a threat to our social fabric. Yeah, and it was just maybe that the housing crisis shouldn't be viewed in isolation. The housing crisis impacts so much other stuff. Yeah. And to tie it back to the tech industry, you know, one of the threats is the fact that we don't have the housing. You're absolutely right. For, for, the, for the workers. By the way, I saw what you did there. Ooh. But hey. you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Why tech companies come here if the employees of the tech companies have nowhere to live? Yeah. And why would people who would like to work in those tech companies choose to come to Ireland as opposed to somewhere else and pay through the nose for their good salaries to live in second-rate homes? Taking you know 
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.